You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? West Dead Air Nipe here with always. Typical Lydia. Today is episode 31. I didn't even realize that we were coming up to that already. But it's also our Halloween special. Yeah, 31 for October 31, but right. a week previous. A week, we're cool. it's, it's a week ahead, but we're doing 1978's Halloween. That's October 31st. Oh yeah, kind of perfect for the 31st episode. Yeah. So for our Halloween special, we're going to do something that I've wanted to do for a year. Definitely. And Lydia hasn't really wanted to do at all. But I think it's going to be fun. And if it's a disaster, I think it'll be even more fun. What we're going to do is instead of watching the movie and then turning on mics, we are going to watch the movie... While the mics are on, and we'll basically just talk over the movie as a commentary track. Now, we're going to have the sound down, and it's going to be extra fun because the DVD that I brought does not have closed captioning options. So we won't even be able to read the dialogue. Which, on one hand, is kind of good because then it'll like sort of naturally morph into a more typical Dead Air episode. As opposed yeah. to being straight up commentary track. But we also both know this movie so well that I don't think we need them. I think we're going to be 100% fine. The 1978's Halloween is the big one. As if, as a, according to a lot of horror fans, definitely there's people that have their preferences. But it's one of those films that is agreed upon by both critics and horror fans that... It's significant. Well, this movie is on the fucking, like, is like in the film preservation, the fucking film registry, mm-hmm. uh, natural film registry. So, like, as, like, considered culturally significant. Now, the interesting thing is when it first came out, it did a lot of box office for an independent film. That was the other thing. Like, it made so much money. For costing about $300,000, made millions. At the time, it was the most expensive or the most profitable independent film ever. That obviously has been knocked out of the fucking park by other independent horror films. Um, which always seems to be the ones that are made for almost nothing and then make massive amounts of profit. Yeah, people try and replicate that formula, but it can't. It's something that needs to be lightning in a bottle, right? Yeah. It needs to be an organic, all of a sudden thing. It can't be something that people plan. Now, Halloween is not the first slasher. Of course, movies that came before Black Christmas, Texas Chainsaw, and what this is heavily influenced by, Psycho. And if you talk to a lot of horror purists, they'll say, no, 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 it's not the first slasher. But I've always submitted to anybody that this is the first one that has really, truly done the iconic slasher. Black Christmas, you don't see the killer. Texas Chainsaw has Leatherface, 
But I always consider that more about the family in its entirety. Now, Leatherface is the most, like, visually interesting, but it's about a family of killers. Yeah, it's more of a hillbilly horror to it's, me. It, exactly. I mean, Psycho, uh, 1960s, um, that definitely has elements. But now, not... how many kills are in Psycho? God, that's a good question. Is it three? Two? Two, basically. Two, yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, you can go all the way back to a stalking, uh, a stalking killer, like, to like the fucking silent era, like the cabin of Dr. Caligari. Some people go even as far back as that. But Halloween is the first time where it has teenagers, a slasher with a mask. Um, it's a stock and slash, and it's the first commercially successful one that anyone yeah. can recognize. Anyone, even people who don't follow the series or necessarily follow horror films, mm-hmm. they're familiar with this. Exactly. And this movie was the big change. Yes, other slasher type movies have existed before. We've even done uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve has a lot of elements. Twitch of the Death Nerve. <laughs> has uh, a lot of elements. I hate that title. <laughs> has a lot of elements of a slasher movie. But this was the one that put the stake in the ground. And all of the other slasher franchises and independents sprung from this. And sprung is a good word because this is the one that really had people thinking about promiscuity and the punishment for sexual behavior. Even though it's not, by our standards nowadays, a very sexy film. There isn't no. a lot of fucking, there's not a teenage sex romp by any means. Mm-hmm. But back in the pre-80s, it was, they were being punished for being sexually active, mm-hmm. basically. And even the opening scene, from in my eyes now, in my 21st century eyes, the sister isn't being punished for being sexually promiscuous. But back then, that was what the undercurrent was. Oh, there, there definitely were people that instantly started crying foul for, like, misogyny and all kinds of stuff like that, particularly... In the 1970s, with a lot of that sexual freedom still, like... Just fading. Just starting to fade. Just just starting to fade. But, I mean, John Carpenter himself is just like, no, that's not really... Like, he's like, he's never obviously never viewed it as misogynistic. Um, John Carpenter started this movie... Uh, like, sorry, John Carpenter and his lady, the late Deborah Hill, mm-hmm. wrote this movie together. Her handling a lot of the dialogue. And him obviously scoring it, directing it, and handling a lot of Loomis's dialogue. So his hand is very apparent in this. But it was one of those situations which I love, especially from coming from my background of writing comics, where people come to you with an idea and they're just like, give this legs, do a thing. Yeah. And that's what happened to John Carpenter. People came to him with an idea. They wanted to do a horror film where teenagers were getting killed. And he ran with it and made a very basic concept excellent. So what we'll do is we'll start the movie and then I guess we'll just go and just start talking over it. Yeah. And we've hit play now. Donald Pleasance in John Carpenter's, just so we know we're all lined up. And like I said, since him, he, since John Carpenter had such a hand in this, John Carpenter's Halloween, that possessive S, it's very much his. 
like John Carpenter's The Fog, which I'm going to be watching later on today, just to see a little more Jamie Lee Curtis Mm -hmm. in some John Carpenter work, right? Hell yeah. The music that was composed for this, did you did you ever like hear him like say anything about like how exactly like he came up with that ridiculous melody that became so infectious? No, but if I paid more attention, it wasn't so fucking starstruck. Um, was it is it Dan Howarth or who did the second Halloween music along with John Carpenter, and then all the subsequent most of the subsequent Halloweens? I can't remember his name. Uh, Howarth, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at the Festival of Fear and got to see him perform a whole bunch of his score, like from like Escape from New York and stuff like that, and Halloween. And they probably had something to say about it, but I was way too stoked to be there and see that. <laughs> it was it was a very very cool show actually. But it definitely is effective because it's being used in some aspect for all of them. Mm-hmm. If not, like even in the Rob Zombie ones, that comes through in the end, I believe. Yeah. And some of them it doesn't come out till the end, but most of them do have this as the title song, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably been ripped off on, on many other films too. Same way that the Psycho song, like the Psycho violin riff, has been ripped off. So yeah. Halloween Night, nineteen sixty-three. Yeah. Finally, we're doing something where I wasn't born yet. <laughs> Stop. It's close. And then we're starting off with this shot, the POV shot. Again, influenced by Psycho, they also have shots like this in Black Christmas. But this continuous shot, really fucking crazy. It was Alan Haworth, sorry. Oh, oh, really? Alan Alan Haworth did the music for the second one, along with John Carpenter, and then took over the reins. So sexy makeout, still with the killer point of view. Yeah. I don't know, like, you'd have to, like, think that a girl would be super into you, because you're just like, how about this clown mask? What's What's that doing for you? I don't know, it's Halloween, they're goofing around, right? Yeah. People goof around with masks on in in a sexy manner when it's not even Halloween, I'm sure. The one thing about POV shots that I always find crazy, and to show you like how much of like a weird cinephile I am, that when I'm walking around and I'm seeing things through my eyes, and I'm like, how come POV shots can't be like this? And I just start thinking about like all like the subtlety of like my head motions and stuff like that. This comes pretty close. I find like some POV shots are way too steady. I'm like, nobody walks like that. There's always, like, some kind of, <laughs> Put a like... neck brace on and see what you think. Oh, <laughs> so the closest you're going to get to a steady cam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't put a neck brace on, it's going to be, like, all over the place. More like a found footage, which everyone complains can make them sick and it's too jittery and blah blah which is a little more like real life. But our brains help with tracking, I guess. Yeah, no, that's true. I love that this is just like the most regular house ever, right? There's a picture of the family on the wall, which I keep meaning to actually study Mm -hmm. because isn't his sister like two years younger than him? Shouldn't she be in that picture? Right, right. Because uh, Michael Myers is six in this, right? It's that 
Um, I've seen other things where it says that he's eight years old, but according to the math in this particular episode mm-hmm. installment, it is he is six. Yes, he's six years old. All right. Yeah, and I guess so. By the time we do the time jump, he's twenty-one, yeah. and then Jamie Lee Curtis's character would be eighteen or something like that. She's still in high school, yeah. so yeah, she'd have to be. Yeah, Michael Myers the same age as my mom. <laughs> be born in nineteen fifty-five. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, finally, I love this. This has been not being used in as, as many films as the killer point of view, but killer point of view through a mask. Yeah. yeah. Nick Castle's movie that he made right after this that we never did review tag yeah. starts out with a point of view through a mask like this. Man, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, I guess that was one of the things that initially drew us to that movie. or just oh, like, yeah. oh, there's like similarities. It's obviously freaked out. And... I was hoping that he stabbed her 13 times, but it's only nine. Why 13 times? For luck. (laughs) (laughs) He'll need it. I guess so. I guess he doesn't really have a plan after this. (laughs) What? What do you mean? His plan is to go stand out in the front yard and wait for his mom and dad. Like, yeah. I suppose that's the idea of pure evil. Although, in my head, wouldn't pure evil just want to not be caught? Well, it's his initial possession, right? According Mm. to later non-canon versions of this series. Wait, is that the one where he's where where it's part of that cult? Is that number six? Yeah. Oh my. So he's not himself anymore. Of course, he has no plan, right? He's waiting for further orders. <laughs> look, no, at him. Like, yeah. look at Automaton. I don't, I don't think anyone wants us to reference number six. I, I don't. Like, I'm done. I'm <laughs> seriously done. I've watched the second one so many times that all I can hear when it's changing to nowadays is the Mr. Sandman song in my head, even though that doesn't come till the end. Like... It is an interesting song choice. It is, Mr. and it's used in the Rob, Rob Zombie pulls a lot of my favorite little tiny things into his remake of the first one as well, including that song. That's one of my favorite. Where did you did you like the the was it two thousand seven remake? I liked the first one. Yeah. yeah. I like part of the second one, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind it. Talking about a fucking polarizing, a polarizing guy making a remake of a movie that many people would consider, like the Crown Jewels, do not touch. In one, on in sort of yes, I sort of understand that point of view, but I also like he's an artist that's going to do whatever he wants. He's as invested in these films as as we are or any other fan. Mm-hmm. So he has the means and the artistic vision to do whatever the hell he wants and he did whatever the hell he wanted and i'm not gonna judge him on that i enjoyed it sure but yeah i can see people like i've definitely heard people be polarized and freaking out about it and refuse to watch them or watch them and like them better which is crazy Mm -hmm. he did really cool things though aside from mr sandman these matches that the nurse is using Mm -hmm. 
that become a clue later on yeah uh from the uh red rabbit yeah he rob zombie uses those to a really cool plot twist effect to explain a little bit about michael myers mom or the rabbit in red that mm-hmm. strip bar which is a really really neat device i thought for people who pay attention to stuff like that from the original mm-hmm. so he obviously did right this scene introducing uh donald pleasant's character as dr loomis or mr bossy pants mr bossy pants <laughs> um very common in horror or any sort of genre film to get a more experienced older actor to handle some of the acting the the more demanding acting in these types of movies i was originally when we were going to go i was starting i was trying to think about like other actors that have been brought into horror to sort of fill this void and immediately I started thinking back to old like Hammer films and I was because right because you know like they would do Hammer movies and some of them would be really cheesy but they'd have like Peter Cushing or something like that to deliver some lines with a lot of earnest and authority and then you'd be like oh yeah this is pretty good like you kind of forget that what he's saying is kind of dumb because he's so into it mm-hmm. and then I remembered or I found out later that Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee were both approached to do this role that Donald Pleasance eventually did. Uh, The money just wasn't there, unfortunately, for them. But Donald Pleasance became as identifiable to this series as Michael Myers himself. And is really, like, one of the characters that really glues it all together. Oh, completely, completely. And if only he would have like not not as much of a laughable character because a lot of diehards do kind of poke fun at him i call him mr bossy pants but it was only upon repeated viewings that his demeanor started to wear on me Mm -hmm. as almost comical at first well in the later movies for sure yeah definitely even worse even but then after digesting all of that years past digesting all the films over again re-watching this it's like from the first time he opens his mouth i'm just like here you go with bossing everyone around again um but yeah he did have that sort of sense of authority and definitely does glue the series together as well as michael does absolutely and his lineage <laughs> yeah absolutely It's crazy, though, that Donald Pleasance has so many screen credits. I remember there was an issue of Rue Morgue not too long ago, maybe like last year or something like that, that did a whole retrospective on him. And -hmm. it showed like how many different times he had played all these different types of characters. And and like still like, you know, considering how many roles he did, like Loomis really wasn't something that is a big chunk of his career, but it became like the thing that people know. Ooh, Jamie Lee Curtis and her sensible shoes. Sensible shoes. Her first role, her first credited role is this film. And wow. Laurie Strode, yeah. She really knocks out of the park. She is the best actor in this entire film. Yeah, for sure. She is dialed in to her role. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like, and it sort of flies in the face of the people accusing this of being misogynistic and uh, hypersexed is that she is neither of those things. Mm -hmm. She's entirely her own woman, and she is is extremely immature in her behavior. 
and very level-headed, mm-hmm. very trustworthy, a very picture-perfect typical teen, right? Yeah. But not in that cheesy, overblown fashion. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's really great. Super likable. That was the number one thing that I honestly, like, after I watched the Rob Zombie remake, one of the things that I always thought about that the remake was, I was like, fuck, man, I don't find any of these characters as likable. And then when I went back and, and especially watching Jamie Lee Curtis's performance, I was like, I really appreciated how likable the character was and how you wanted her to survive. In the remake, I was just like, kill them all, Michael. Kill them all. Kill them all. <laughs> kill them especially all. Laurie. Jesus Oof. Christ. I love the storytelling in this is really, really, really cool. Uh, in so many other stories, you'd be like, oh, sure, of course she has to go to her the old family house and do this real estate stuff and not really even seem to react or catch on. But in this, it works because she is completely devoid of recollection. She doesn't even know much about Michael, I don't think at all. Right? No, like, not really. And it's... A perfect way to like introduce him as living in his old house and stalking her this is where the stalking begins mm-hmm. and it works in this any other horror film you'd be like oh yeah sure thing right yeah totally unbelievable but in this the way that it's set up totally believable mm-hmm. although i think that after that tragedy i thought maybe the parents might have considered moving a little farther away oh <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Well, the the isn't it her uncle and aunt or something like that? Mm. That shot of over the Michael Myers's shoulder makes me wonder, like, was he wearing the mask outside then? Because because they don't show his face, so I'm just wondering, like, because is he always wearing the mask? It's Halloween. He can get away with it. Yes, he's always wearing the mask. Uh, that's true. It's not till the end that he has the mask off, but he doesn't take it off himself. No, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, I do wonder sometimes, like I'd have to really start paying attention to this in a film theory way, and I really don't like film theory mm-hmm. when it starts to get to like really strange. When this theory. comes to this movie, especially this movie has been dissected. Oh, I know. By people way smarter than I. <laughs> well, how psychic is Lori? Right, that's my question. She started singing a song just you and me or just the two of us or something like that right while she's being followed by michael and that's exactly what he wants so he's sort of if she's psychic projecting that desire onto her right Mm -hmm. she's definitely in tune with the fact that she's being stalked bigger than the feeling of i'm being watched Mm -hmm. because some people do get that i'm being watched feeling but she's not just like feeling weird that she's being watched she's looking directly at where he is well i mean he's standing right there I feel like <laughs> worst I, stalker ever. I feel like she would have more of a reaction. I would. I I would not be able to let that go. Yeah, but she's in class and she's a good student, so she's like instantly distracted. I would be just like, there's a guy. There's a guy right there. Look at him. This weird white mask. I guess she is playing kind of distracted. Now everything's gone. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I think this movie ages so friggin' well because everything is just really honestly so plain. 
It could be anywhere. It, it could, could be really any time. Like, their dress isn't n- nailed this, exactly in. This fucking scene makes me the most uncomfortable of any scene. What? I, the, like, these, bullies? these bullies bothering this kid holding the pumpkin. It, like, it just drives me crazy because it's just like. I don't like I don't like confrontation of any kind, and it's funny saying that because we're dealing with like a stock and slash movie, and that's like nothing but confrontation. Yeah. But these kids like tripping this poor guy, smashing his pumpkin. I think one of those, <laughs> and then there you go. It's like busting pumpkins on Halloween. That's a cardinal sin. It is. And that actually happened just last night. Someone threw a pumpkin through a plate glass window across the road from me. And I didn't realize what had happened until this morning when I went and I was walking by and talked to the shop owner because I'd heard everything happen last night, but I didn't know what had happened. And when he said to me, do you want to know what was thrown through the window? And I was like, yeah, because I thought it was like a cinder block or something. And he's like a pumpkin. And I went, I feel so sad because I love Halloween and that's horrible. (laughs) And of course, that's not the normal reaction of a normal person. But it made me like I'm all for shenanigans, but I'm not all for destruction of public property, especially when it has to do with using a pumpkin, one of the sacred fucking objects of Halloween to be fucking assholes. That's why I could never get behind Billy Corgan. He was always smashing smashing those pumpkins. My first thought was, like, was the pumpkin harmed? Like, did the pumpkin make it through? Because it wasn't a jack-o'-lantern. It had no weak points. It was probably, like, a solid... Pumpkins are pretty solid little things. It's kind of cute that Tommy trips and falls and squashes a pumpkin, because I don't think that would really happen. Pumpkins are pretty solid. It probably, like, collapsed his chest. That was a big pumpkin. It was a big pumpkin. Why was he carrying the pumpkin? Like, like he had a pumpkin at school. What? <laughs> Maybe it was bringing pumpkin to school day. These, like, like continually going back to Donald Pleasance's character, where he's just kind of, like, on the case, right? Like, just doesn't... No one takes this as seriously as he does. He's super serious. Serious house on serious earth. Like, just fucking so goddamn serious. This is no joke. Michael Myers is in town. No one's listening to me. Well, he's the only person that knows him. He's the only person that knows, really, what sort of evil never dissipated and has only grown right mm-hmm. of course he's he's terrified yeah, and he's doing some sleuthing here although when it comes to moments like this where he's c- clearly there's an escape mental patient that much they do know yeah clearly he is attacking people they also know that mm-hmm. there is an abandoned vehicle um, and I, I do find it interesting that, like, Loomis is fine with just, it's like, he found some rags, doesn't do any more investigation to maybe find a body, but, so they know all this is happening, and that's enough evidence to suggest that somebody is missing. Yeah. But he still can't get, like, everyone, like, rallied to this. No, because everyone thinks he's just acting out, which is usually typically reserved for the female character, um, unfortunately. When the women start acting a little bit paranoid, people start passing it off as them being crazy. People sort of pass Loomis's 
idiocy as embossing people around and paranoia as lunacy and mm-hmm. saying that he's crazy and they don't believe him. And then they sort of placate him by being like, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll keep an eye on things. Um, but normally, yeah, that is reserved for a female character, the psychotic woman, right? This dialogue exchange, all the dialogue exchange between the ladies, like I mentioned before, written by Deborah Hill, um, it's always praised on being very natural and how teenagers sound. But every time I hear it, like I'm just like, is this good dialogue? I don't know. I'm not that great of a writer. No, I think it's fine. It's definitely yeah. fine. And it establishes um, their characters, right? Where mm-hmm. they sort of have this mother maiden crone thing going on with like PJ Souls being the maiden and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis being like the crone in a way. Yeah. Yeah. They've, it definitely establishes their characters as the fun loving, free loving, somewhere in the middle and the kind of like prudish Jamie Lee Curtis. She does seem even more prudish because of her friends. Yeah, definitely. In contrast, yeah. Worst stalker ever. Well, it's like do you like I get the sense that like Michael Myers himself doesn't really have too much of an idea about how to be a good stalker. <laughs> You're right. Okay. I, I think he's just like, I'm super evil and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna kill her. But I do agree that he at least has presence of mind enough to not make himself entirely known. But if he does want to kill her, I don't understand what he's waiting for. Uh, For there not to be other people in the way. Maybe at this point, at first, he's not interested in killing anybody else. And it's not about, I'll just kill everyone that's in my way. Mm -hmm. Maybe he gets to that point with frustration. But... At first, it might be just, I don't care about all these other people, but I'm not going to barrel through them either. Yeah, that makes sense. Apparently, all this location was chosen just because it looks like it could be anywhere. I was just going to say, like, this honestly looks like my fucking neighborhood growing up. Yeah, it looks like neighborhoods around where I grew up, too. I guess that's the idea. I don't know if you take a walk over two blocks. It looks exactly like two blocks away from here. It probably looks like two blocks away from a lot of people listening. Mm -hmm. It does really fit in nicely with the horror coming to the characters as opposed to characters going to the horror. Or the horror standing (laughs) 10 feet away and hiding behind a shrub. Well, her friend's head was down. And he's just like, at this point, I feel like she should be more alarmed. But is it like the, I understand it's the script. And like, if she starts, starts flipping out now, it doesn't entirely make a lot of sense. But the idea that, okay, she definitely saw a guy in a mask at her school. Yeah. Then she definitely has been seeing a car cruising around them. Yeah. And then she definitely saw a man in the same mask just in front of her now she's either going crazy or somebody in a mask is following her from school until now and she saw that station wagon because he was standing behind it at the school and it's a pretty remarkable station wagon as well because it has like an official emblem on the side oh yeah it's like it's a giant 70s wonderful station wagon just fucking huge 
And nope, nope, he's gone. So clearly it's nothing. And a pretty, like, remarkable mask, too. Like, they did have uh, latex masks and stuff like that. But nothing is, like, creepy and strange as this white-painted... Not that you'd recognize it as William Shatner, but William Shatner mask. Yeah, very famously. That's like one of those little horror tidbits that yeah. everyone's like, yeah, it's William Shatner's face. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an awesome. inside out version of William <laughs> Shatner's face at that, which is like, but it's not like de rigueur with the what is Halloween at this time. Halloween masks were, you know. Well, like the clown mask at the very start. That was more similar. It's like a hard plastic. The latex masks were probably like Frankenstein and old man masks and stuff like that. Yeah, something that you would have to probably send away for. Yeah. That would cost a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Far more expensive than they are today. Oh, absolutely. I remember when I was a kid always wanting like the really expensive monster masks for Halloween. My mom wouldn't get them for me. We had a really expensive all like over the head with hair and everything old man mask that was like a really creepy, very wrinkled, decrepit old man mask that mm-hmm. my parents used to stick on my head and send me into the store to buy things for them. So like, go in and get a bag of chips. Go buy me a pack of smokes. Here, wear the old man mask. And I used to get a kick out of it and the storekeepers <laughs> knew me well enough that, you know, here comes this like three foot little tiny girl with 10 bucks in her hand and old man mask on. <laughs> I don't know what my parents were thinking, but everyone got a kick out of it, including me. That's probably what they were thinking. It's just funny. The mask was probably by today's standards a $300 mask, though. I don't know how the hell they came about it or why. I'm going to have to ask them. That'd be really interesting. It's funny that, that she's just getting home from school and there's already kids trick-or-treating. And fucking there he is again. Like, fuck, man. Fast as fast can be. Oh, yeah, he's sneaky. Bob's yeah. leaves and he's getting better at the stalking trick not really because <laughs> then again if you're watching someone from outside just looking at their house at the window he might have not even expected her to just come to the window and look out but he was standing there and then she comes out to the window she's like oh shit <laughs> yeah it's awful bit. bright outside he probably couldn't even see her being there but yeah yeah he's also psychically linked with her Somehow. He well, really, truly is. Well. Says who? Donald Pleasance? Says me, just <clears throat> watching. You know what I mean? Like, it's just too many coincidences. Too much happenstance. How did he know where she would... Like, how did he know to look out the window of his childhood home and that she would be there? You know? I do find it strange that he could, after so many years, even recognize her. It's the psychic link, I tell you. Yeah, maybe. I'm not I'm not entirely there yet. Maybe you might be right. Yeah, unlike the Rob Zombie remake, he's been mute all this time, right? Mhm. In this. And he yeah, he wouldn't know what she looks like whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean somebody that's so mentally damaged too. Do you think it's too early for them to be trick-or-treating? I think it's kind of too early for everyone to be trick-or-treating. For really young kids, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I could see parents wanting to get it over with and then get home and, like, eat some candy and time for a bath and then tuck you in and whatever. And then the sun starts to set, you know. Little tiny kids would probably be trick-or-treating right now, for sure. When I was a kid, even when I was very young, the rule was we couldn't start going trick-or-treating until the sun was down until it like got dark. dusk like at yeah, least. yeah yeah at the very least 
And I don't know why. And it seemed like most kids in my neighborhood were trick-or-treating around them or then. But, yeah. Was it little tiny kids or, like, eight years old and up? Because my relatives would bring the young, young, young ones over for trick-or-treating at my parents well before we were even ready to go out. Mm -hmm. So we'll have seen the, like, little tiny kids come and go. Then we would go out. Mm-hmm. Each car bigger than the last in the 1970s. <laughs> it's true, like total boats. Fuck. They have the right idea, man. But it's cute. I don't know. These are like cars that you would still see on the road today. So it's another thing that, although dates it in a way, like you said, each car bigger than the last. Yeah, fuck yeah. But... In a way, everything old is new again and things like that. You can mm-hmm. look at some of these cars and still see them on the road. And it doesn't really take you out of it. Yeah, nothing in this movie. I mean, you're right. Aesthetically, nothing really pulls you out. Except for maybe like the rotary phone. That might be the only thing that pulls you out and makes you think like, again, like, I was going to be like, again, like remaking movies like this where they're fine as they are. There's so many crappy movies out there that need to get remade. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like there's so many fucking movies out there that had a good idea but were poorly executed. Like don't look in the basement. <laughs> I still want that remade. I think I should just mention it on every single episode. Because, um, yeah, it could be definitely remade. And there are a lot of things that are severely dated in that film. This is where Loomis comes to the graveyard and is looking for the gravestone. God, what was the sister's name? The sister's name? Yeah. Uh, Judith Myers. That's right. Yeah. That was her gravestone that they're looking for, right? Definitely was. And Michael Myers is such a supernatural sexy beast that he can haft a half ton fucking gravestone around town. Like, and no one notices. Nobody's business. He's not even winded. (laughs) <laughs> well when he was at the 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 mental institution it was a lot of push-ups a lot of sit-ups squats sit-ups that's one thing that michael myers is good at yeah he's like, well, you'll see him do some sit-ups later yeah he's the sit-up king oh hell yeah no but like if you, if you want me to believe that like look the places that they take the michael myers character throughout this franchise i find the the thing that's easiest to believe towards the end of it that he could lift up a tombstone (laughs) but you're right at this point there's nothing we don't know michael very well right now all we know about him is that he killed someone as a little boy he spent his entire life thus far in a mental institution he hasn't spoken a word and he's come back to haddonfield to resume his murder spree or at least kill his sister first he must rob the hardware store which is always the, the first thing I would do if I come back as a psychotic killer is just raid the hardware store. Zombocalypse hits, raid the hardware store. Bored, raid the hardware store. All he took is some knives and some rope. I love that. I do love that. <laughs> I love this scene. Because it's one of those things that another like seamless tie-in to this story. It's written so very well that it's just like almost seems like random. Mm-hmm. Someone not paying attention or that's very dense might see the scene and not see it being connected. 
Mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, paying attention, you're like, oh, shit, now he has knives and rope. Maybe he used the rope to heft the gravestone. Maybe like like a makeshift sleigh or something like that. He could drag it around. Then you have drag marks everywhere. I got nothing. Like I, I'm, I'm assuming he just like a like a fucking sack of potatoes just has it up over his shoulder, like a boombox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a ghetto blaster. Like a ghetto blaster. Don't make fun of me. God damn. It. I know. I picture him just kind of plucking it out of the ground like Excalibur from the stone, and then he just puts it under his fucking arm and trots off to wherever it is that he stored the gravestone before he uses it in his coup de gras. It's 1978, so everyone's got a marijuana cigarette. I know, right? And her dad, <laughs> the cop, doesn't notice, of course. That's the thing, because everyone's always, like, brushing the, the the smoke away and, like, oh, nobody panic. <laughs> but I was like, the lingering scent that uh, marijuana leaves, I've heard, I've read about, it, it, like, it's too pungent. Like, you can't. Oh, yeah, it's in your hair and your clothes and your hands. Like, everything. yeah, like if you think that people don't smell it on you, you're crazy. Yeah, exactly. You always smell like someone who's just smoked a joint. Yeah. And her father, the police officer, who you would assume is, I mean, at Haddonsfield, he's cracking down on doobie smokers all day long, you damn teenagers. Yeah, he should be. That or it's like downtown Ottawa and no one gives a damn. There could be that. Now, again, <laughs> like, he's cruising behind her in his giant station wagon, the biggest car in the fucking county. Yeah. And, like, there's literally nobody else on the road. Like, there's nobody. No, he's definitely right behind them and has been behind them for, like, a half hour now. I know, because now, <laughs> now it's nighttime. Yep. Poof. Magic. Magic of cinema. It's nighttime. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, I understand that this movie, $300,000 seems like a lot of money, especially in 1978. But for the film stock itself and for paying the actors and like, it's you don't have a lot of money. No. A lot of this stuff was made on the super duper cheap. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you're dealing with a very unpopulated neighborhood because you don't really have extras i mean you know, they had the trick-or-treaters those were local kids yeah. that they got to just dress up at halloween this was filmed in spring if memory serves me so i mean you had to get halloween costumes and stuff like that to sort of fill out your scenes oh everyone's got one in their closet but yeah i know oh. what you mean like oh, it's, hell yeah. it's very very on the cheap and very very calling in favors and Probably some running gun scenes because it's not like they're getting licenses. They're probably just like waiting for the neighborhood to quiet down so that they can get these shots of the cars driving with no other clutter. Yeah. Because it is very uncluttered filming. Even though these houses look lived in and the areas are semi-populated, it is very uncluttered filmmaking. I think I read somewhere that the Myers house for this movie was an abandoned home that was owned by some church or a church group or something like that. But I think the other houses that they use were lived-in houses that they just got to, like, we'll film in the in this. I've seen some local filmmakers rely on the, the kindness of friends. And they'll, like, put a call out and, like, we need a house that has this element and this element and this element. The rest, you know, we, we don't 
we're not that worried about. So they need like a house with a large two door and a foyer and stairs that go up there, but they don't care about any of the other stuff because they'll like, you know, carefully move your belongings out of the way or if they need it to look lived in, leave those things there. I'm glad that they lucked out with this location though, because the house itself, like the the dilapidated Myers house, mm-hmm. is a wonderful house. And even you know, for the shit that is Halloween Resurrection, the house that they're shooting in there looks pretty Myers house. I like it. I like that. That's the only fucking redeeming quality. Right? That's been a bit since I've seen Halloween Resurrection. I hate that film. I've only seen it. <laughs> Uh, twice, twice. Once as a current rewatch, and once when it first came out, and I hated it. Really? Yeah. We you know, we got Loomis and the sheriff hot on the trail. It's really just like Loomis demanding that people check this out. Like no one else has seen Myers. Well, I mean, they have, but they don't know what they're looking at. I mean, I mean, the the sheriff has no idea if what this guy is saying is true. He's never seen him. They only knows that there's a mental institution, a mental patient on the loose. But they keep leading him around and they keep finding nothing. And they're only mostly being like, okay, okay, you know what? We'll follow, we'll go with you on this hunt just to shut you up. Well, that's the thing. Like, I'm wondering if, like, if, if Loomis didn't come a- a- across as so, like, restrained panic, like, you have to listen to me! <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's evidence that, like, shit is being broken. <laughs> like, Loomis forever just fucking pulling out a gun. <laughs> ready to, yeah, ready to shoot, paranoid as fuck, wound tighter than anything. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's crazy to me how, like, not even thinking, he's startled and is already pulling out a gun. Well, then he explains exactly why he's so scared. Yes. <laughs> so many years trying to get in to that mind, and then so many years trying to keep him locked up. Trying to understand what's behind those eyes. You mean the devil's eyes? The blackest eyes. <laughs> Most of most of this dialogue done by John Carpenter himself, the long speeches that Donald Pleasance had to give to really impart upon how evil a character is, which is an interesting technique. I always found that a lot of times your audience will understand what a character's motivations are, if they're evil, if they're dark by what they're doing more than what they're saying. But if you are trying to tease the character in a way, another great technique to have is to have other characters show up with a bunch of information to tell you, to tell a character, but mostly tell the audience that what they're dealing with is pure evil. Now the concept of pure evil in housed within an individual, (laughs) like, hammered into your fucking face in this movie because of the the dialogue that donald pleasance has mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it's like there's like no fucking misinterpretation of that it's like evil 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 bad 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 trying to reach some somebody that cannot be reached um just nothing is there 
And the only explanation for why he snapped as a child to kill his sister, right? Mm-hmm. It's the only way that anyone could ever make sense of it. And now, not only is he trying to explain that to other people, and he definitely, it definitely works on the viewer. Oh, for sure. You, you definitely buy that he is evil and there's nothing left to him but mm-hmm. evil. And now it's, it's loose, right? This is the other technique in a way. Is this where the whole don't kill the dog stuff comes from in film? Because. Well, I don't know if it's this specifically. I wonder when it was that people started flipping out about when people kill dogs. Like, it's sad to kill animals, for sure. And to... Let me put that right there. It's sad to kill animals. No, (laughs) it definitely is. Um, And it is that thing about, you know, uh, future serial killers all Mm -hmm. killed animals as children, which isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily true, but it is, by and large, many of them did begin Mm -hmm. on animals. And animal torture is something like a psychopathic trait right Mm -hmm. um but in film where it's the don't kill animals unless there's a real 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 reason he kills animals in almost every film and i guess it's sort of explained later on in the rob zombie one i think that he's that's what he eats right he's eating these dogs cats rats um but this is the first like he just kills the dog really for no reason just to shut it up there's yeah. like he could have ignored it true but i mean it always occurred to me that he killed the dog because the dog was making would would make him like he's he's getting ready to he kills a dog i think in every film i'm pretty sure he kills a fucking dog in every film I sometimes not even he some he just go in a house kill the dog i definitely remember the dog dying in 4 mm-hmm. that's the only one that's really sticking out to me Yeah, but to me it was always just like the dog definitely knows something is up and is barking, is super agitated. This is a good dog and a smart dog. Yeah, and I'm always the idea that like animals can sense what we can't. Yeah. Not only can they hear him with his raspy breathing, his weird stalker breathing. Well, I always just assume that he's got to be breathing weird because if you ever try to breathe through one of those Halloween masks. Yeah, for sure. And he just finished lugging a fucking tombstone around. <laughs> he's got to be out of breath. Well, like the dogs can also sense evil, right? So that's mm-hmm. just another thing to hammer home that he is so evil that a little doggy psychic dog can pick it up. Yeah. God, worst stalker ever. Well, it's weird because... When he's watching her completely silent and not doing anything, he seems like, yeah, yeah, I got this. I'm watching her. She doesn't know I'm there. And then when he's about to leave anyway, he's like, oh, by the way, boom, boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, puppy. Poor puppy. I mean, it is sad. But yeah, because, I mean, the dog is drawing attention to the fact that he's there, which I guess he doesn't want at this point. Well... Don't have to worry about the dog anymore. But there, yeah. this is like one of those things where people would not watch a film because a dog was killed for no real reason in their mind or dislike a film for that. Uh, there's editors that won't take a, a fiction story if someone kills a dog in this fashion, which would appear to some as for no reason. Now, this is just John Carpenter tossing in something 
that he loves one of his favorite movies, the Howard Hawks, the original thing from another world, which he would famously remake. With the same opening, too. The mm. same sort of opening. Same sort of opening. In uh, this, this is what the the kids are watching for their Halloween entertainment. Good. Uh, horror, more sci-fi, in my opinion, but it's still... It's still uh, scary. Still very scary. So back then, it's one of the first horror sci-fis, you know. Mm, yeah. Very cool. Um, you know, John Carpenter has, like, this weird sort of career where, like, he does something that's not embraced entirely. Halloween was a financial success immediately. But a lot of his other films, like, he would make, and then they would be panned critically and they wouldn't make anything. But, but like, you give it some time and then people fucking take it as religion. Nothing was more funny to me than when the Thing remake or prequel or whatever was coming out. Like, the internet exploding in rage. How could you dare touch the sacred... John Carpenter's thing that I just watched that this I, year. That I just watched this year. <laughs> but, but like, but I mean, when that movie came out, it bombed. It bombed like no one crazy. No really paid that much attention to it. And nah, John Carpenter always like his quote on that was always like, "People wanted happy aliens and not yeah. evil aliens, not ones that killed dogs either." Not, oh my god, that was another dog death. More in that dogs one. being. Dead, it just goes yeah. to show. I you, need to watch the fog to make sure. Well, no, just to ver- to see if he's mm-hmm. killing dogs in that one because I F- fog's another one. I haven't seen it for a long fucking time. Yeah, that didn't that didn't do too well. And then again, like it's all of his stuff retroactively. People he remade it himself, and then all of a sudden the original was lauded as a classic. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy to me. My parents are big John Carpenter creep movie fans, right? Like mm-hmm. they like Halloween, they liked the thing very, very much, um, and they had the fog too and i haven't seen it since i was pretty young mm-hmm. and the part of why i want to revisit it not only to see if he kills dogs in that one too but uh because to see what like level of filmmaking was put into that what level of storytelling was put into the original because i barely remember want to know a weird thing i do with movies of a certain age mm. especially ones that are meant to emulate life uh, contemporary life of when they were made as I like to look at the products they're using and and then I, and I was like oh so that's what a box of Tide looked like in 1970 no name baking soda looks exactly like no name baking soda does still today and the Tide yeah doesn't look exactly like the new Tide boxes yeah yeah or you always see like old pop cans or something like that that's just kind of like the the product person in me as one thing that this film does really, really well, with Michael being the worst stalker ever, or maybe best stalker ever, he is in so many little hidden scenes like that. He was mm-hmm. just like peeking through the laundry room from the other side. And there are like, as much as we notice his stalking scenes, mm-hmm. there's a couple really effective hidden ones. There are. I, I mean, like when they're blatant, they're super duper blatant. I do like this sense that they've created in the movie of a very small neighborhood. It doesn't seem dumb to me that a bunch of friends that have lived together for years all live in the same little area. Like, they can just go across the street and there they are. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, it it doesn't, like, to me, like, if you look at this movie and say, like, oh, 
that's so strange. Like, what do you mean? They're just like across the street? And now Unlike we're just prom down. night. Yeah. yeah. Where, on the other other hand, where everyone lived together for so long on prom night, where I was like, as if, as if they all live that close, as if they're yeah. all still friends. And this one, total opposite. And cutely, uh, another Jamie Lee Curtis film. But like, I totally understand. I totally agree with you. That yeah. It, totally it, does, it doesn't, it doesn't come off as dumb to me at all. Like, it, I mean, yeah, there's practical reasons for it. You don't have money like you're shooting in a small area whatever they live across the street from each other but when because like i remember hearing about this movie like for years and years and years when i was little and then when i was probably like the first time i saw it god i might have been 11 or 12 maybe 13 but like it was always like the friend my friend saying like oh you gotta see this movie you gotta see this movie and then i always thought it was it seemed smaller than i expected because mm-hmm. i didn't obviously at that age you don't understand anything about like budget and practicality or anything like that but it never stuck out as weird to me and then as an adult when you become like more critical when you're watching movies it still just fits and it fits beautifully and you wouldn't want it to be any more stretched out you wouldn't want characters driving to other characters to like fucking help out or whatever no, and it also helps things like you had admonished Loomis at one point, not in this installment, I don't think it was a different one, where you're like, and Loomis is just walking by. Oh, he wait. just happens to be walking by. Um, wait, wait, it's in this it one. It is in this one. It's definitely in this oh, one. Oh, it is? Because in watching this one, the part where he's just, quote unquote, just walking by, <laughs> it, it makes sense to me because he is like a few blocks away doing mm-hmm. what he does best, sleuthing, chasing being fucking paranoid but it is so close that it makes sense that he's that close to me yeah things like her dad being the sheriff things like ben tramer anything to do with (laughs) ben tramer it fits it doesn't seem as random as it is and then if you look into part two four and five there's other little threads that are woven all through this that makes sense because it's a small not like tight knit community to the point of like incestuously tight knit, mm-hmm. but yeah, believably tight knit. Yeah, I definitely like this scene. I think it's adorable. Like the idea that like, oh, I want to, <laughs> I want the house to myself. We can't, I can't obviously have the house to myself with my fella if there's a little girl here. But oh snap, responsible. Lori is uh, babysitting right next door. Yeah, do you want to go see Tommy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they just hang out and they're going to watch the thing from another world together. Which, if you ask me, pretty rockin' Halloween. I love that. Just, like, sitting around watching uh, a fucking old black and white horror movie. I forget the name of the series. It's, like, Dr. Rigor Mortis or whatever. Um, the internet like a, guy? No, this guy that's throwing the movie marathon that's on the television that they're watching that starts out with the thing from oh, the oh, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I forget what it is, like Dr. something. It's Dr. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they had stuff like, um, yeah, yeah. like the, Yeah, the, he's the host of this series. So through this and the next film, like Halloween 2, they do cut to the TV and the other films that are on, right? Mm-hmm. I'd like to see a list, and it's probably somewhere online. Someone's probably already done my work for me, to see all the films that were shown this particular Halloween night. That would make a fun Halloween to watch, the films featured in Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they, at one point, like, if you can hear the TV in the background, if he says all the films oh, that'd that be they're interesting. playing that night. 
Because they do, like, it's something like 10 movies that they're going to watch back to back in this movie marathon over Halloween night. Sort of like they do now with all the Halloween movies on, like, Scream or whatever TV network. Yeah. This made it to television, like, two or three years after the movie was originally released. And I think 1981 or something like that. And the fucked up thing about it that I thought was endlessly fascinating, Mm -hmm. might just be me, but was that... John Carpenter did additional scenes for television to make it two hours. Oh, really? I didn't know that. While he was filming... Well, he didn't direct Halloween 2, if memory serves me. But when 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 Halloween 2 was in production, at the very least, additional scenes were filmed that were just for the first Halloween movie when uh, when it was going to be aired to television. And I'd never heard of another movie doing that. I don't know. I don't pay that close attention to stuff like that to have known. But that's really cool. I'd like to compare the two side by each. I can't remember what scenes it were. I think it might have been. Was it to amp them up or dumb them down? Was it things to it, explain? It was, it was more exposition. It wasn't. Okay. It was. It was like. God, maybe the scene at the graveyard was the additional scene. I can't remember if we're watching the extended edition or not. This is 92 minutes. Mm, So I don't think we are. Here we have our first, like, official kill on a person. And it's one of those things where you always envision Michael being so stabby. Michael and his knife. Yeah. He's all about the knives. Oh, hell yeah. But it's the thing where you notice, like, he doesn't really rely on the knife the way that, you know, the mythological Michael Myers in your imagination does. Every Michael Myers I've seen as a Halloween costume has a knife. Every person imitating Michael Myers the, the, the kitchen, is stabby. The, the, the kitchen yeah, knife. Yeah, huge is... butcher knife. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in this, and even the first kill, there's a knife involved, but it's mostly a choking death. One of the things that um, is pointed out I think by um, Adam Rockoff, who did The Horror of It All, that book that I go on about every now and again. Yeah. Because uh, I'm so proud of myself for reading or listening to an audiobook. <laughs> and uh, uh, he suggested that one of the things that made this so palatable to a lot of critics, like Roger Ebert, like loved this film, mm-hmm. was the fact that, was the sterility of it. The fact that they weren't going for gore and there was plenty of movies that were coming out around this era that were already pushing the limits yeah. of gore. What they were going for in this was a lot more shock value, jump scares. But they're not really even something like killing the dog. It's suggestive. You get the idea that he's killing the dog, but they don't brutally show you killing a dog. Yeah. Although, in my opinion, it's filmed wonderfully and it's very sad especially when the dog starts to relax yeah when it loses its muscle in this yeah they they don't show you much michael is predominantly choking this woman but even more so the fog in the glass blurs things further so and, and a it does two things that i love it further obscures michael's face even though he's wearing a mask it also blurs it to make it almost look ghostly yeah keep him even more in shadow 
Yeah. But it also makes it like you're not entirely sure what the fuck he even did. And even when he swipes that knife, it's like, okay, I'm understanding that he probably cut her throat. But you don't see anything. There's not a drop of blood in that kill. Yeah, no, it's true. And all you really, really get to see, the only thing that you really have to go on is her facial expressions and her reaction. Mm-hmm. And and she does a really good job. And it is not a long scene, but it's long enough. It's longer than a lot of the quick kills that we're used to, right? Well, especially, I mean, for a choking scene, I was going to say, like, like, they're definitely taking their time on it. Yeah. It um, takes as long as it probably takes to choke someone. I almost get the sense that, like, Michael Myers is just like, I'm going to choke her. And then it was taking too long, and so then he eventually just, like, cut the throat. Here you have, like, Donald Presence, like, fucking pranking children. <laughs> he's all proud of it. <laughs> That's my favorite, is that he's like, well, there, now I've done my trick and my treat. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Still a scaredy cat, total paranoid. Oh, it's Halloween. Everyone's entitled to one good scare. <laughs> at this point like before the, the the sheriff showed up i was always getting a sense that like donald pleasance like loomis is just like given he's just like out of ideas so he's just like i'm just gonna like hang around here but then it comes like you know classic kids daring them each other to go into the house and which is pretty pretty typical for a little community spook house right like, yeah good luck getting house. old scaredy cat wes in that fucking place i would definitely go and check out the myers house oh not, my god yeah not, i'd have been in there a couple times not me because i was just been like that's that's trespassing fellas jay willikers you're such a square yeah yeah proud of it too There were these abandoned uh, cottages that were down this trail by a waterfall where I used to live. And we used to go there all of the time. And they were creepy as fuck. I would definitely get creeped out in those fucking places. You would hate it. You would hate it. Abandoned cottages in the woods. Oh, my God. I got kind of, (laughs) like, scared. Creeped out just thinking about it? Lewis always seems like he's barely paying attention to people when they're talking. Because he's just as single-minded as Michael Myers himself. All he can think about is tracking him down and stopping him. That's true. Get a load of this van. Do you want this van too there, Slick? You know, I was just going to say that the 70s has not failed me yet when it comes to big, juicy vans and dudes with big glasses and wavy hair. Although, this guy is a pretty strapping dude. I don't think he needs to, like, chase people down in a van. The thing I love about Slick was that it was all about the van. The <laughs> van really and the presentation. Because, I mean, this dude's, like, a fucking strapping dude. He's good-looking. He's he's carrying his lady over the threshold. Everyone's got, like, really good pumpkins. I know. That's one thing I do really, really love about this. And, I mean, you could almost have a drinking game. We should have a contest sometime. Watch this. And I'll be Team Pumpkin. You can be Team Michael. And we'll see how many glimpses of each you get that are just, like, off side. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Little Stalker Michael. All those shots count. Little pumpkins just here and there. Because there is a pumpkin in there's probably a pumpkin every 10 minutes i wonder where they got them too because again like i said in the spring this was filmed in springtime so where the fuck did they get all these big juicy pumpkins because they're not shitty pumpkins do you think they're fake uh pumpkins are a winter squash and 
you can keep a good squash, unlike a summer squash, like a zucchini or an eggplant, which is all the same family, they rot pretty quickly. You can't keep a, a zucchini for more than, I don't know, probably four weeks, five weeks before it starts to get punky. You can keep like a butternut squash. You can keep those little turban squashes, really hard squashes for, you know, six to eight months in a cold cellar. So you could definitely, you could go down to the farmer's market right now and buy up some of the hardest, most sturdy looking pumpkins and go put them in your basement. If you put them in like a straw box where they're going to keep like a constant cool temperature, put them in a cold storage area, you could definitely keep those until next spring. Easy. This always seems so weird to me, the fact that they're carving a pumpkin. First of all, like, it's getting later into the night. Most of the trick-or-treaters seem to have done their trick-or-treating. There's there's still a few kids out. But, like, a lot of the big trick-or-treating seems to be done. Yeah. So now they carve a pumpkin. And they light it. And they just put it on the kitchen table. I would do that. My parents used to have multiple pumpkins. So did we. Yeah. We had a pumpkin for every, for me, my brother, and my sister. We each got our own pumpkin that we got to carve ourselves. That was the thing. Um, So, I mean, I get multiple pumpkins, but it just seems strange to me. Maybe it was just a fun activity for the kids. There were a couple Halloweens where we'd come back from trick-or-treating. Because normally my dad, sometimes he took us around, but usually he'd stay home and just wait for the candy. Because got a sweet tooth uh, we'd come home once in a while at least two halloweens i know specifically we'd come home and he would have just carved the last pumpkin and he would be roasting pumpkin seeds so that when we all got home we could have fresh roasted pumpkin seeds while my parents sorted our candy because mm-hmm. even though the whole razor blades and the candy was like largely a myth they would at least go through it and separate out all the like really sugary shit and put it aside to be doled out and then they'd separate out the not as terrible stuff and like gum and stuff like that that we could have what whatever we wanted pumpkin on their bedside (laughs) just like accenting and that's another point for team pumpkin double points because it's sexy it's a sexy pumpkin it's just so strange to me because like people don't carve jack-o'-lanterns and put them next to the bed the day that I find a jack-o'-lantern next to a bed I'm in is the day I die happy. You're going to die in bed? Well, probably. <laughs> no time for you, telephone. Take the rotary phone off the hook. Oh, yeah. Can't put on airplane mode. Fuck no. <laughs> but I think that's really that's really cool that the pumpkin is there. And it is something that not a lot of people would think of to do. You know what I mean? But I think that that's endearing. Now I want a big jack-o'-lantern beside my bed as a bedside light. I do. Well, wham, pam, thank you, ma'am. That dude's sleepy now. Oh, he is ready to go, apparently. All he has to do is go get her another beer, and he's going to be right back at it, apparently. But uh, you can get phone, phone pumpkins now that are like forever pumpkins. They look just like a normal pumpkin and you carve them like they're made of foam so you can just carve them like a normal pumpkin. They're about the same thickness. So now I think I'm just going to go down to Ikea and get like a little LED light and get one of these foam pumpkins and carve it however I want and I'm going to have a new bedside table light and die a happy woman. (laughs) As I said I would. 
misogynistic my ass. Look at her ordering him around, having a smoke in bed. Get me a beer and yeah. shit like that. She's her own woman. Yeah. No, no, no. You understand, Lydia. It's like, like she can't like having sex. That's bad. <laughs> Is it the whole just because Michael hates his sister? Is that what they were saying that was so misogynistic? Because I've never really agreed with that statement. And I've watched this m- multiple times and always thought, what the fuck were they so worried the about? The theory that is pervasive about the misogyny is the fact that some people watch this movie and perceive the idea that all of the women who are sexually active get dead, are killed, are punished for their sexual activity and the final girl uh is chaste and prudish and and uh, doesn't have time for that doesn't 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 have time for that it wants to get good grades and blah blah blah. and so she survives um and and so i I mean john carpenter herself has completely dismissed that as like that's ridiculous it is ridiculous and michael does kill you know, men that weren't sexually active at the beginning, like the, well, like, obvi- not apparently sexually active, with the garage dude whose clothes he needed. And this death, like, whether or not they were having sex or not, this is like the most brutal and coolest death doled out ever. And it's against a fully clothed male. It really is, like... You want to talk about, like, fucking strength. He literally just pinned, like, a 170-pound man to a wall with a kitchen knife. Yeah, almost single-handedly. And I, and looks I love this scene. And confused, like, tilting that, that I don't classic... think it's confused. I don't think that's a confused puppy, want to go outside, coming up. <laughs> I think that that is a... Shit, man. That's amazing. He's like, how... I outdid myself. He's like, first the tombstone, yeah. now this. Look at me go. I pinned him right up there and look at the life fade from his eyes. That's what he's watching. Of all the fucking shit in every one of these movies that Michael Myers has ever done, (laughs) I submit this is the most hands-down weirdest fucking thing he's ever done. The bedsheet over his body with the glasses on... Like, why Like why the pageantry? You're going to kill her anyways. There's nowhere for her to go. It's Michael Myers has a sense of humor. You will recall that his first kill was done wearing a clown mask. Yes. Ha, ha, ha. That's not funny. Oh, it's hilarious. And then this is like, yes, again, this is probably the second most, aside from just being the worst stalker ever, he's playing peekaboo with Laurie. Like, yeah. it is kind of childish. It is a childish sense of humor thing. It's almost like daring her to catch him because either he's, yeah, the worst stalker ever, not very good at stalking, or he is playing a game. And this is his attempt at humor in his very evil, dark, cold, lost head, right? And then this is his third, maybe second, third attempt at humor, I think. I think that his next attempt at humor is in the hot tub in part two, but we'll talk about that. I'm sure we'll talk about that for about 80 minutes because you love that so much. Yeah, but it is another like attempt at humor in a way. And it's not only in both of those, like the scene in the second one and this this scene here, it's uh, attempting to get a little almost human closeness slash dupe them into thinking that 
he's their love interest. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, because he's not like desiring human closeness by any means. Oh, I love that. Well, him just putting the, the phone up to his head? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like he's going to say anything but raspy breathing. It's like, this mask is really hot. It's like just him emulating more human things, right? Without desiring any human contact. I almost would buy the childish aspect of the character seeing as the last time we did see him, he was six years old. Six and years old, a clown mask. Clown mask. He killed somebody. You could argue that he has not developed past that mm-hmm. because he would spend the rest of his life in an institution. He's going to be that really dark and twisted version of the you know hokey jokey younger brother and this is the best he can muster is to pretend he's a ghost and sneak (laughs) up and strangle somebody (laughs) with the glasses over the mask that's the like that's the kicker yeah that's the only thing to make her believe that that she's her that he's her boyfriend right Mm -hmm. and it is kind of funny and I can see that being like, he's not thinking like in a joking manner necessarily, like, oh, I'm going to trick her. He's just like. It almost looks like the exact same scene. Like, you know what I mean? Like, where he was just like, <laughs> like, like where uh, Dr. Loomis was outside the, the Myers old house and like those kids showed up. Again, it just like cuts so back to him. He's been standing there that long. Well, because he's just like, he's like, he really has no idea where he could possibly be. So he's just like, I'm going to just stand guard. I like stand guard at the house. Somewhat, yes. Because he thinks that he's going to come back there. He's pretty He's pretty convinced. And he knows him, like I said, better than anybody, right? True. So he is just going on hunches at this point. And he knows that. That he's just going... That he knows that he's going to kill somebody. He's going to go after his sister. He knows that. Mm-hmm. So he's like... Definitely just riding on hunches. He's just lucky that he noticed the station wagon. He's just, you know, lucky that the sheriff is paying him any attention whatsoever. And now he's going to get even luckier once the screaming starts. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, for sure. Or he definitely knows something's up at this point. Everyone's acting pretty strange when they're getting choked on the phone. She's had a weird day, though, right? You know what I mean? Like, she's a little little in tune. And she's already said, you know, I think there's someone following me. And people have been like, you know, don't be scared. Don't be paranoid. Or don't be worried. Don't be paranoid. It's Halloween. And so, like, for every time that she has been creeped out today, she's thinking, you know, it is Halloween. Everyone's acting a little weird. But now it's like Halloween's basically over. Like you said, the trick-or-treaters have mostly been done by this point. Yeah. They're done that- carving pumpkins. Yeah, we're at that point in Halloween where everyone's just going to bed and it's done. You're you're right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But something is still odd. Especially since no one's answering the phone. And sure, they'd be fucking, but she is probably been friends with him long enough to know that he's a two-minute man. So yeah, she's like, pretty sure they should be done by now. Yeah, fuck. And is it really cool to have that little girl and little boy sleeping over kind of thing you know is that like something their parents would be okay with i'm pretty sure like the parents themselves first of all <laughs> like like the, the parents have been out for a freaking bit like how hard are you partying <laughs> this halloween second of all i do agree that like i think in an ideal situation each one of their respective children would be in 
the houses that they were left in. They should be. They just should Just for be. safety's sake. But again, the old babysitter's gonna have her boyfriend come over for some sex. At least, I, she, had, at least she had the decency for to, to send the kid over to the more responsible thing. And plus, like, you know, if you turn it into, like, don't you want to go visit your friend? Yeah. And watch movies together, then it becomes like, yeah, hell yeah, I do. Yeah, I definitely, there was times when my parents were called away on whatever adult things, and I had to be sent down to my cousin's house, like, uh, an impromptu babysitting um, late at night. And I was always stoked, like, yeah, cool, we'll go, I'll go to Jay's and watch scary movies, because that's what we did. Same thing that these kids are doing. But I did a, I did a, my fair share of babysitting, and I never had, like, other people over really like that's just weird to me it just strikes me as really really irresponsible but whatever i guess this was the 70s late 70s people were like that tramps <laughs> uh, i was gonna say i love love the tension in this scene so much when she's approaching the house they do another pov shot but this time unlike all the other pov shots it's from Lori's perspective mm-hmm. instead of Michael's. She having her slowly coming to the house, looking at it. All the lights are up. I love when she's walking around the house. It's just so fucking well done. It's nice that we know the last time we encountered that door in that exact hallway, the door was creeping open because Michael had left it open. Michael mm-hmm. had popped out and killed somebody. There was definitely a dead body there not long ago. Mm-hmm. So we know he's been doing my favorite thing that we actually get to see him do earlier. Tommy sees him carrying the other girl's body around, which mm-hmm. you rarely get to see the killers doing what they do best, which is arranging, body ar- arranging. arranging bodies. Yeah. So we know that Michael's been busy arranging bodies for the last five minutes. nice because we know at least half of what's going on in this house we know at least half of what she's walking into mm-hmm. and we can only guess that it's going to get worse right Jamie Lee Curtis comes off as so believable in this scene just like call like calling to the darkness is it sounds easy to do but so often in horror movies it sounds so it sounds so performed you've riffed on it before with the whole like it's not funny guys I, and and that drives me fucking crazy and it's just it, you can do those scenes and they can work this is one of those times where calling into the darkness seems to make sense because you're right she knows that her friend has her boyfriend coming over she knows that she, it's like something could be wrong but they could also just be having sex mm-hmm. so she, and she's not entirely sure which and that's the other thing it is believable because sometimes when I'm like stop it's a joke you guys I'm like Who's making a joke like that? This could just be, like, it could, like, her boyfriend could have grabbed her yeah. from behind and, like, they could be having sex right now. Like, it's it's really well done. Or they could be playing a trick on her because it's Halloween, you know? That, yeah. Yeah. And I guess when it is Halloween and people do like to play more pranks. But this is, like, the best prank ever. Not really. Well, at least we know what uh, he did with the tombstone. Here's your dead sister's tombstone and me and my Halloweeny sex bed. And your dead friend. Surprise! <clears throat> Again, an interesting choice to do the slow registration 
<laughs> of what you're looking at. And then, of course... The jump scare. The jump scares. All the body discovery, because he's been a busy boy. A busy, busy boy hauling bodies around. Like I don't know if, like, cross-eyed is really the best choice for a dead body <laughs> to be or whatever. But again, like, this would... Like, this whole body's jumping out would be brought to an art form in later installments. This is just fucking awesome. It's like almost like when the mask just kind of you barely Faded notice it. Out. Yeah, and then it just fades stepping in. forward into the light. So, so slow. So and such fucking... a nice easy camera technique. Such a nice easy very easy lighting technique if you know what you're fucking doing. And it's just another testament that they knew what they were fucking doing, right? All the shadow play in this is amazing, although uncomplicated. Not complicated, but it really goes to show you how much of a fan Carpenter was of old cinema, especially black and white. Because you don't get an understanding of how to use shadows like this unless you studied that fucking shit. And like he obviously is like a well-established fan of these older movies and he and like he's applying it here and he's probably a photographer i don't know much about john carpenter but i'd like to look now and see if he does any like hobbyist photography if he does any professional photography i wouldn't be surprised i've seen um, a movie semi-recently final girl i believe it's called yeah Yeah, not final girls no no the the one that came out previously the canadian one yeah uh and their dp is a photographer Mm mm-hmm and it sounds funny, like a lot of DPs aren't photographers, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're directors of the science of photography more so than photographers. And this guy is a professional photographer. And it depends on what sort of photography people do, right? If you're an Ansel Adams kind of guy, you're going to get an Ansel Adams kind of look. If you're a boudoir photography kind of guy, you're going to get a, a porny soap opera kind of look. But this is very, very in tune with its shadow play. There was some really good shadow play there. This like this technique of the neighbor that will not help you. Again, when you are talking about this film, what this movie really polarizes is the idea of not being safe in your own neighborhood mm-hmm. and really fracturing the sense of community mm-hmm. that is so prevalent, especially in this era. This movie is suggesting that not only are you not safe in your own backyard, but when you're in trouble, your neighbors won't help you because mm-hmm. they'd rather save themselves. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but... You no, know, and I think it's something that was becoming a, a newer phenomenon where now we assume that neighbors won't help each other. Oh, like now we're so paranoid and, and like suspicious of our neighbors and, and like everyone's out for themselves. Everyone's worried. I mean... In some on... neighborhoods, you'd worry she's going to get shot by her neighbor for banging on their door. Oh, yeah. But back then, yeah, I think it was the beginning of the that loss of trust mm-hmm. within communities. And again, like really emphasizing that this movie really put the stake in the sand and said and said like these are the types of horror movies we're going to be doing now the slasher boom of not being safe in your neighborhood and i think like the reason why they were so effective and i mean like this is not like my opinion and it's fucking groundbreaking but like it's just the idea that people could relate you could relate far more uh in 1978 and even now to sitting here saying like what if a crazy person broke into my fucking house 
right? Not so much like, oh, I'm like, I don't, I'm not really afraid of aliens because I don't believe in them, or I'm not really afraid of ghosts because I don't believe in them, or I'm never going to go to a gothic castle, so I don't have to worry about that, or I'm never going to go on like some crazy vacation into the, like the the backwoods and mm-hmm. I'm going to encounter like a cannibalistic family. This is literally like, I'm. This is my, uh, 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 I'm a friend of the families. I'm babysitting their kids. This is my neighborhood. I live a stone's throw from here. All my friends live around me. Yeah, like, even more insular than Last House on the Left. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Even more like a breach of trust. Far more a breach of trust. We're already getting into like, it's like this struggle. Why drop the knife? Because she stabbed him in the neck with the... With the clothespins. Oh, here See, you are. So this is what I'm talking about. Like, literally just, like, hands in his pockets, wandering around. He's out of ideas. He's got nothing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just waiting for something to happen. Nah, man. I don't, like, I don't see it like that. He is doing, like, a grid search. He is a fixated, obsessed individual. He's just as obsessed as Michael Myers is himself. You know what I mean? He's chasing him, hunting him down. He's doing a fucking methodical search. And he's waiting for anything that catches his eye that... And he's ordering the sheriff around. But he never stops ordering people around. <laughs> this is like, like the coolest thing about Loomis, I guess, is the fact that he just like comes to a town and then acts like he owns the place. Jamie Lee Curtis getting beat the fuck up in this movie. Although I do think it's strange that like Michael Myers has been at this point very depth at killing strangling people they don't even know that he's there and he had all the opportunity in the world to stab laurie and he like missed that one time yeah. that one time he just grazed her arm no i think it works it was a moving target right like he's not very good with the moving targets everything else has been under his control as far as killing people he's had people right where he wants them for the most part and can immobilize them yeah. but she's definitely a moving target and ready for him you know, this I never really picked up before. The fact that she opens up the balcony to maybe think that she Could escaped that way. Yeah. And then she goes to hide in the closet and then ties it up. It doesn't really work that well because, I mean, he's not really fooled for a second. So it sort of sets it up for a later scene in a way mm-hmm. with that balcony being open. Yeah. I love this. This is like totally on par with the shower scene in Psycho entirely. So oh, atmospheric. I definitely agree. Such amazing use of light too. Well, I gotta say he's having a little more trouble with those little doors than I would have given. From a dude that's like bench pressing tombstones and punching through doors. But he can't quite make it through this. Mm-hmm. Little also wood creation. <laughs> then again, like it does set up like some genuine terror for Jamie Lee Curtis character to go through. Cause it's just like this build up of him breaking through as she's slowly realizing the noise is terrible, but that turning the light on, like I can see is all tangled and it could, could easily happen. But it's one of the few things in this movie that I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. Okay. I just, it doesn't work for me. I know, but she's a fucking doer, man. Like see this shit. Like it has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, she was not sleeping around that she was spared. She's spared in this movie because she has the presence of mind to grab a wire hanger, take it apart, and stab a dude in the eye. That's yeah. why she's alive. Just total Cub Scout. Oh, hell yeah. And then stabs him in the chest. Or the gut. And the terror is over. 
such relief. There's a couple of false endings to this movie. Not like endings in which like you think they're going to fucking roll credits, but where you think like any normal person should be dead by this. Or at least no longer in fighting shape. No, unfortunately we know Michael Myers, so even this freaks me out a little bit when she steps over his body. Even being that close to his hand, I'm like, he's going to get you. He's going to get you. But that's only because I know. But you want to think about in 1978, when people were first exposed to this movie, the idea that a killer could take that much damage, who's seemingly not supernatural at all, Mm -hmm. aside from the unrelenting force of evil that is apparently keeping him awake, however you want to interpret it. Um, like, they're not expecting him to get up. I mean, the guy, like, literally got stabbed in the eye and got stabbed in the stomach, and he seems done. But then again, we just saw him get stabbed with a sewing needle, so it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, yeah. We're not used to that supernatural, preternatural strength at all. And then, of course, we get one of my favorite scenes, all-time favorite scenes, when those sit-ups that he did in incarceration come into play hell yeah rock hard abs that's how you do that so effortless so robotic void of any sort of humanity it's so tough (laughs) this is what i'm talking about like he just walking with his hands in his pockets waiting for kids to come out of the building screaming he's like wait a second maybe it's this (laughs) house he doesn't even seem entirely convinced I love that, that whole, the move of getting up slowly and then the last thing to raise is your head. Just such an automaton and so unhuman. Also, he probably does yoga because he he knows not to let the, (laughs) not to get dizzy from getting up too fast. Yeah, because he might have suffered a little bit of blood loss through the eye, through the guts. And Loomis, all this ordering people around finally pays off for Loomis. Hell yeah. Hey, that's not Nick Castle at all. (laughs) The famous unmasking scene, which I honestly forget happens a lot of the times. Oh, yeah? I forget that, like, he gets unmasked in this movie. I think he's, he's, I'm, it it sticks in my mind very much because he's one of the few killers that gets unmasked before he's dead. That's a good point. Usually it's not till they're in that shape on the ground. You know, movie's over, everyone's safe killer's dead then you take his mask off yeah lumen loomis uh lights him up empties his gun on him so so weird of a scene and so tense because she's like who the fuck are you (laughs) my knight in shining beige overcoat and it's funny because you know she asks the childish question of was that the boogeyman yeah i I, like reduced to dun 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 seeing that michael myers body is no longer there Lori just like fucking losing her shit like that would be the first thing to come to your mind though but i guess you know as much as i think that michael is steeped in being six years old with his dark sense of humor as a six-year-old would Mm -hmm. have uh she kind of pedals back into being a kid for that moment too maybe i don't know well i mean it it is very much like loomis like being an adult saving a younger person like there could definitely be like that 
memory all these shots i love these shots going back to all the places in the house reminding you of how safe and normal and everyday that a house is it's a safe house a place that everyone lives yeah well most people most people all these houses look very very average and then you know right on that last shot which was the first shot the myers house the myers house and it just ends halloween halloween just the day that will never be safe again (laughs) but not only just the idea of halloween but for laurie and the people of the survivors for laurie especially you know that neighborhood's no longer safe i mean we talked about it a little bit about how like she knows she knows when the chips are down her neighbors won't save her and she knows that like her her homes are not safe either because that's where the killer went you know like it's just like it's really awesome it is it is and it's nice that because of this insular town that we've talked about how everything is so tight-knit and they weave these threads in through some of the sequels that terror starts to come back so it's by the time that 20 years has passed he's a total he is the boogeyman you mm-hmm. know every halloween no one's safe and there's people even saying like they would in texarkana after the moonlight murders that are featured in the town that dreaded sundown thank you my brain just so not working <laughs> after that endurance test that that was yeah. um people think that you know they shouldn't have halloween or they should do something safer because of what happened 20 years ago mm-hmm. there was a maniac on the loose slaughtering his family basically mm-hmm. i think his body count uh, by the end of halloween night as it is is something like 13 plus possibly three more mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's true so now that we're rolling on the credits there what are, what are your final thoughts on the movie of Halloween. That I can't wait to see the second one because it all is a one complete package to me. <laughs> I love this movie. I love the second one even better. And it's all like it all is just one contained evening. So it's one contained evening to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, I'm just really happy that we were finally able to do it. I mean, I know it's a really big horror film. And I know the original idea of the podcast was to maybe do stuff that's a little bit more obscure. But I think that we can also do some of the big ones if we kind of do it in a fun way, which I hope the, the commentary track was fun for some people. Yeah, I think I think it panned out really well. And it's almost like a boon that we didn't have um, commentary to riff off of. Like none of the dialogue was up. So we're definitely going from our own genuine love and our own genuine, genuine opinion on mm-hmm. this film, which we have lots of. Oh, because yeah. we've talked about this film. We do tend to talk about this film a lot. Because mm-hmm. we've definitely seen it a lot. And we see a little more eye to eye on this film. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And not only that, but like, you know, so many other movies from this point on, like like I said, this was the big change in slasher films. So if you're going to talk about slasher movies at all, you have to point out the fact that, yes, other slasher movies technically came first. But this was the one that, that like made all the money, that got all the fucking attention, and that people were trying to copy. So... Things like the Ahab character in Loomis, the final girl, mm-hmm. teenagers, um, you know, that type of shit. The masked killer, the iconic masked killer that was, you know, the the star of the show. So much more relatable than Friday the 13th, too. And it was a little more common, like 
there was many people that weren't horror fans that went to see this. There's a lot of people that haven't seen the rest of the series that were interested in seeing this because yeah. it was such a hit and it is such a common movie. Yeah, but I mean, I, like it has, it has um, those elements of sterility, like I talked about before. The fact that like there's not a lot of blood in it; it's not particularly gory. Mm-hmm. It's definitely frightening, and there's jump scares. There's some mild nudity. Pretty tasteful, though. Very tasteful. And and so I I think it has all of those elements where you could like go see a horror movie and not feel sleazy about it, about it for the common people for the normies yeah and for the christians <laughs> it's not blasphemous yeah exactly and it, it's always strange to me how like michael myers never became a bigger horror icon it's not like because if you say michael myers people might not know who you're talking about or think that you're talking about like the comedian yeah but if you say freddie or you say Jason. Jason. People know, oh, yeah, I know that. Hockey mask. Oh, knives for hands. Yeah. But, like, Michael Myers. But if you say, like, Halloween, oh, you know the Halloween movie. And, like, people will be like, oh, oh, yeah, I know that one. But, like, this movie franchise has tons of sequels. Yeah. And remakes, successful ones. I mean, you know, the Rob Zombie ones, like them or not, they made bank. Oh, yeah. They definitely had buzz. And, like, this is older than most of those franchises and went on, yeah. you know, it has a tighter knit story, too. Mm-hmm. It's not as loose or out there as, like, Jason in Space and stuff like that. Yeah, Jason in Space or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. honestly, like, there's tons of uh, uh, Friday the 13th movies that, you know, I love them, but you could watch them almost in any order. With the exception of the first two. The other ones? Fuck it. Five, six, eight. Yeah. It, it could be in any order. It doesn't really fucking matter. But, like, you know, this is, like, very much, like, a continuing story. It's fairly re- linear, yeah. Fairly linear. With the exception, obviously, of Season of the Witch, which is the... Well, you can mix it up. Like, there was a thread on um, my Facebook talking with Chris from Bind Torture Cast about what order you prefer watching them in and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Which episodes could actually go to hell. And I had tried this year and it's like trying different combinations every year to get this like pentultimate combination of Mm -hmm. Halloween movies that is to suck the most enjoyment out of it or something. Mm -hmm. And I tried uh, one, two, four, five, something like seven, blah, blah, blah. And I was going to watch three last. But after I finished watching, I guess, part seven, Mm -hmm. then I was like, you know what? Like H2O, I watched it. And then I was like, I don't feel like watching the rest in like what I'm... You don't want to watch the Buster Rhymes one? No, not, not at all. And that was going to be second last. And I was going to watch part three last because it has nothing to do with this story at all. But by that point, I was like, I really want to watch part three over again because I hadn't... I've seen it the least. No, mm-hmm. second least. Resurrection was probably... I've only watched it twice and I hated it both times. Mm-hmm. But part three was way more... Be- it gets better every time I watch it. Even though it has nothing to do with this particular story. So now I think from now on, I'm going to start watching it with part three first. And then part one, two, I've, four, five. I've always been a, a one, two, four, five, H2O person. because I, I love that combination. Because yeah. I think like the, the, the first two, obviously that cements it. That's the story. Mm-hmm. Four and five continue the story without Laurie. Yeah. And then H2O brings her back as like this big, it's a big deal. Yeah. And it's like 20 years later. And maybe the first five minutes of Resurrection. 
Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. That's it. And then stop it and then burn the rest of it. Burn the rest. Yeah. Um, You know, like, look, every movie is someone's favorite movie. And I mean, I know people who like in in longer franchises, like some of the black sheep of of any of the franchises, any any one of them, of the Mm -hmm. big horror franchises. I'm in particular, like a lot of people shit on like um uh jason takes manhattan i fucking love that movie like <laughs> like just like it's hardly it's hardly in new york and i'm like it's expensive to shoot in new york give him a break um you know but i like that movie um but uh but and, and you know, i'm sure there's somebody out there halloween resurrection is their fucking slow jam not their jam their slow jam Yuck. i can't even imagine <laughs> but i know it's your slow jam Halloween too. Oh, is it ever? I love that <laughs> film so much, and I can't wait until I can't we do wait. this all over again. We do it all over again. Um, so tune in next week. Well, we'll be doing the naturally the sequel, and that'll be the end of our Halloween special, and it'll be on Halloween weekend proper. Yay! <laughs> yeah, this is just a small taste. This is Halloween one. Halloween one. This will get you ramped up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like pre-Halloween. I like it. If you want to be that way, you can save this and watch them or listen to them back to back on Halloween. Ooh, it'll be like one fucking rip roaring ride. Yeah, totally. Because this is like, you know, the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer for horror fans. Like, they got to watch it every Christmas. Like, <laughs> Frosty, or I was trying to think of like a Christmas special that everyone, The Grinch. The Grinch for yeah. some people, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like every Halloween, you got to watch Halloween. Until that one year when I was standing in a video rental store looking for horror movies at Christmas, because that's what my family does. And The Grinch at Still Christmas was on the TV screens like that were mounted up in the ceiling and stuff. And I wasn't really paying attention, but all of a sudden, you know, in my like in the ambient sound of the video store, I hear, join the Ku Klux Klan. And I'm like, what? What? And I turn around and I look, and it's the Whoville song at the beginning of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And I was like, I looked at the shopkeep, and I'm like, Did the, I swear that that song just said join the Ku Klux Klan. And he was like, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention. So I went to a friend's house that had it on VHS, and we played that song. So if you listen to the very end when they're panning down on the city from the mountains, and it's just the very end of that Whoville song some christmas whoville song whatever the one of the first songs the whole the whole little town sings it says join the ku klux klan at the end and that's where i fell out of love with that film well yeah if it's true boo (laughs) i urge everyone to go and listen to that and see if i'm nuts or not but before you do that listen to our show i guess you already are (laughs) well we really beat them to the chase on that one didn't we aha (laughs) Anyways, on that note, I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. You don't really know much about Halloween. You thought no further than the strange custom of having your children wear masks and go out begging for candy. It was the start of the year in our old Celtic lands, and we'd be waiting in our houses of wattles and clay. The barriers would be down, you see, between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in to sit by our fires of turf. Halloween. The festival of Samhain. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red.
with the blood of animals and children. Sacrifices are part of our world, our craft. Witchcraft? To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. In the end, we don't decide these things, you know. The planets do. They're in alignment. And it's time again. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. And... Happy Halloween. <laughs>